Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Ben Hernandez of Skytel Group. This is part two of a two-part series. All right, welcome everybody. Alex Tiersch here, Medical Spa Insider. This is, I still have Ben Hernandez of Skytail Group on the AMSPA hotline. This is part two. We were, I, Ben, we were blabbering on so much. We just, we just, we just couldn't get it all in. So we had to, we had to invite you back. I do think this is the first time we've done this on this. I'll have to go back and check, check our historical records, but congratulations on that, Ben. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. Definitely a bucket list <laughs> item. Let's see if maybe we can talk long enough and do a three. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I, I did, you know, we were, we, we ran short of time last time and, and there were a few things I, I, I wanted to, to get to. For those of you who are just tuning in um, and hearing Ben for the first time, um, I really encourage you to go back and, and listen to the first uh, part, um, particularly if you have any interest, um, which many of us do in, in M&A activity in the med spa space. If you're an owner and looking to maybe sell, if you're looking to buy, whatever that, whatever your, um, whatever your proclivities are, I, I, I encourage you to, to check out uh, the first one because we did get into some really good stuff generally about how the um, the whole market looks, kind of how how private equity is valuing companies. Ben is with a company called Skytail Group, and they they help companies uh, scale and then um, help them with the the acquisition process. And I wanted to get into um, a little bit more, Ben, about some of the specifics of the process because I, I've actually gotten a lot of questions on that. And, and what I've what I've found this kind of ties back to to our original conversation where I think there's a lot of folks out there um, who are med spa owners and they just don't, you know, we're, we're, we're still a new company and we're uh, industry and we're still, we're still relatively new to the MA space. This isn't, hasn't been going on for a long time. There hasn't been, you know, tons of roll-ups. So I think there's a lot of folks out there who don't really know what they have and what they can sell and kind of what the value is. And so we got into that a little bit last time, but I wanted to talk about the process, just generally um, the timeline and, and, and how things work with one of these um, acquisitions. So let's let's just um, say you've got, you know, a med spot, maybe you've got one or two locations and, 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 and you're ready, um, you're ready to be acquired and you've, you've had some interest. Um, what's kind of, what's the overall timeline? How long does a typical transaction for a medical spot take start to finish? Uh, so what should folks expect there? Yeah, I think folks should expect if they if they properly go to market and go through the entire process, uh, it's about a six to nine month timeline. Uh, that's quite a variance, right? Six or nine months. Mm-hmm. I would say that for a one to two location, like the example you just asked, closer to a six month um, on the front end and the end of it, that's where the two tails can get a little bit longer if you're larger, meaning on the front end, you do a lot of prep work mm-hmm. before you even contact potential buyers. And then on the back end, after you sign an LOI, um, that's a kind of I look at it as a secondary level of diligence, and usually you'll see things closing, you know, 45 to 90 days upon signing an LOI. And the variance for that is if you have a lot of complexity, buyers are going to need a little bit longer. If you're a one or two location, they might be able to knock it out in 45 to 60 days. Right, right. And we've been kind of doing a, um, a vocabulary lesson here. You, you mentioned LOI, uh, which is letter of intent. You've, you've, I've, you've also mentioned, I think, I. IOI, which is, what is IOI? 
IOI is an indication of interest. So, okay. you know, as you go through the process, um, a, a lot of the time, if, if someone like an investment banker or broker is helping you on the sell side, it's a disruptive process, right? To, mm-hmm. to the seller, to the person running the business. So, you know, our job, a broker's job, an investment banker's job is to protect the owner as much as they can early on. So you disseminate some information and the buyers will put the IOI. It's an indication of interest. It's an unofficial letter that basically states, you know, hey, MedSpa, um, I'm going to offer you somewhere between, let's just pretend here, eight to $12 million based on what I've seen here is maybe a general deal structure of what you may expect. And the reason you ask for those early on is if somebody comes in at, let's say, $2 million, right, uh, you call them and say, hey, can you sharpen your pencil? If not, then we're going to politely decline to move forward. So it's kind of a way to filter relatively early on any buyers that may not be serious contenders Mm -hmm. uh, in an acquisition Mm -hmm. for you. And then once you pass that stage, let's say we say that eight to 12 million is a decent range, you know, we'll need to be on the upper end. Then they'll ask for additional information to get to a very solid LOI letter of intent, which is basically a term sheet. Okay. And that one will have an exact dollar amount. And what what's what type of information are these um, these private equity groups or, or or any buyers? I mean, what are they specifically looking for? And I know I, I know you know we've talked about the the general financials and 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 having clean books and and all that, but like what are they trying to find out and 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 how detailed do they get in the initial process we're not talking about due diligence yet which is later on just the initial pre LOI process what are they going to be looking for yeah in the in the pre LOI process they're really going to be looking for who is the owner or owners behind this organization uh, and the reason that's extremely important is, you know, we're not selling an oil well here, right? We're, this is a people business. It's a service-oriented business. So they'll want to be sure that they feel comfortable with the owner or owners because, you know, post-transaction, it's a bit like a marriage. Typically, right. they're going to ask that you stay on for, you know, two, three, four years to make sure that there's continuity in the business. So that's very important. The financial aspect, as we, as you already mentioned, that we've already talked talked about. That's also important. You know, how long have they been in business? What are the trend lines look like? Um, Do the books make sense? You know, enough information to where they feel generally comfortable. Uh, And then they'll ask for, you know, high level, you know, hopefully they'll know our industry, but they'll definitely ask about the industry, you know, how that's shaping up. Uh, And they'll ask about the team as well. They'll try to figure out, you know, who within the team, um, what type of team do we have as we do sell, um, they'll want to get an understanding of what the team looks like today uh, Mm -hmm. and what it may look like post-close as well. So those are the some very, very early questions that they'll ask. Mm -hmm. What you mentioned uh, as you move towards kind of the the LOI or the the, the term sheet, which is basically – um, an outline of how the deal is going to look, right? It has all the, it has the, the the price, it has some of the the, the other structuring things, and 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 that can be um, that can be well, it can go a lot of different ways. It can be it can be challenging depending on um, on, on how detailed you get with that, or it can be a fairly simple LOI and term sheet. Um, but I, and I want to get to that in a second. But how um, when you say deal structure, like 
with with some of these 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 med spas that are selling what are these deals looking like if can you just can you give kind of a general um summary or just general kind of like if like how are they how are they structured and 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 what can people expect to get out of uh, out of this deal as far as structure wise goes Yes. And, you know, the structure piece of the LOI is so important because a lot of people think about just the dollar amount, but there's a lot of minutia within an LOI potentially that can drastically affect, you know, true value uh, and your life post-closing. So a a typical kind of -of run-of-the-mill deal structure may look like this. Let's say that someone offers you $10 million. Uh, Within that LOI, you might see, look, we're going to do 75% cash at close, if you will. So mm-hmm. $7.5 million. But then even within that, they might put in what's called a holdback. It's basically like an insurance policy that, that says, hey, if you withheld anything, uh, we have a right to this holdback money. Uh, you typically get that back. That's usually about 8 to 10%. Uh, of a deal is they'll hold, you know, let's say in this case, a million dollars back and they'll say, we'll pay 50% of that 12 months after close and the other 15% of that 18 or 24 months after close. You should get that back as long as everything has been represented accurately. That 25% that we kind of left there on the sideline, Mm -hmm. typically we would expect that a buyer asks the seller to, it's called roll in to NUCO. Mm-hmm. And what that essentially means is your $2.5 million, you're not going to see, you're actually going to allocate them to me. And then there are a multitude of entities as to whether that where that goes. And, and that's a big question to ask is, okay, I'm, I'm essentially rolling in $2.5 million in this example. Where is that? Is that mm-hmm. at the top? Is that, let's just pretend you're at the MSO level. Does that remain at my practice level? Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, how do I monetize that? Right. When are you going to sell or, you know, glossary term recapitalize, if you will. Um, so th- there are a lot of things within that, the dollar amount itself you want to digest. And then there are other things within the deal structure that you'll see, such as non-compete, non-solicit, uh, things that you'll want to pay attention to that are in the LOI that, you know, may not seem like a big deal when you're focused simply on the monetary value of it all, mm-hmm. uh, but become a significant deal you know, if and when you leave the organization and maybe you want to do it all over again. Yeah. So the 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 rolling. So in, in the example you're using, um, the, the seller would roll 25 percent of, of ownership, which means basically that two point five million dollars. Um, is it fair to say it's, it's almost getting kind of invested in in the new the new venture, this whatever the, 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 the new company looks like post close? Is, is that a fair way to put it? Yes, that's that's exactly the, the way to put it, Alex. And yes, and the reason that they want you to do that is, you know, from a buyer's perspective, equity is expensive, right? I mean, you know, these are you private equity groups that essentially are beholden to their investors as well. And they want to turn, just roughly speaking, $1 into $3. And, you know, there are things like teacher unions, universities and the like that are their investors. So, you know, they're under pressure and expectation to do something nice with that equity. So I say that to say equity for them is expensive. And the reason that they offer it is because 
they're not buying an oil well. They're buying a service industry uh, organization, and they want to be sure that they're as perfectly aligned with the seller as possible. And one way to do that is to, you know, have that carrot, have in this case that $2.5 million, where you know, ideally on a theoretical basis, the seller is going to be very motivated still pose close to continue to work as hard as he or she had worked before the transaction. Right. So that, so that, that two point, so the, the 25%, 2.5 million in, is there kind of a typical um, process by which that ultimately, or actually I, I'm going to ask this again, can the, can the seller expect to ultimately sell the rest of their 25%. I mean, is that because a lot of times what, what sellers are wanting to do is, you know, yes, they want to expand, but sometimes, you know, they want to expand. And then after three years, they're, you know, they're tired and, and they're, they're ready to retire. Um, how do they get that remaining 25% or 2.5 million out? And is there kind of a rule of thumb by, by what they should expect to get? I mean, is it, is it going to be a straight 2.5 million? Or is it going to be twice as much? Is it going to be three times as much? Does that make sense? It does, yes. So um, the way that a seller is going to monetize that $2.5 million is when there is what's called a recapitalization, basically another sale. Okay. So let's just pretend that I'm a private equity group that buys your organization, your med spa. I, at some point, am going to sell that to a usually larger private equity group. And a typical private equity group timeline is within four to seven years, you're turning a business. So you're getting the return that one dollar into three for your investors. That's a you know pretty rough window, but pretty mm-hmm. accurate window. So a lot of when you get it back depends on where within that timeline you're selling. So if you're selling day one, let's just pretend of that fund, um, then maybe it's four to seven year hold where you recapitalize. If, however, you sell in the middle of that, let's say they already have an MSO and they're tucking you into their large MSO, then maybe you're only holding it for two years, three years. Mm-hmm. Um, when that recapitalization, that sale happens, at that point in time, that's usually when you're able to pull your money out. Mm-hmm. Um, it depends by investor. Some of them you know, want you to take it all. Some of them want you to take a percentage. Um, and then this is getting a little bit too weedy, but usually within the sale documents, there are provisions in there that if you do leave at a certain point in time, you take that equity with you, but it's depending on how and when you leave, um, the valuation is going to vary, right? Um, because if you leave too early, they might say, well, you hurt my business. So the valuation is, you know, three times EBITDA or something like that, right. something below market value. As far as um, what they should get back, a lot of it depends on that timeline, meaning if you sell day one versus if you sell a year before they they sell as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say though, if you if you sell day one, then ideally you're getting, depending on where your equity lies, something like two and a half times your money. Um, and a lot of that has to do on each individual private equity group. Right. And that's where you want to be really careful to do your due diligence on past investments, how they've performed. But usually what we see with our sellers and we try to match it up this way is they get a really nice return on that money. So that, that kind of second tranche, so they'll sell, they'll get paid for the first 75% of that second tranche. They're, they're hoping to get two and a half times, three and a half, three times of that, which is, which is not bad. Um, 
What, what are um, people, you know, you hear private equity and, and you get a little, you know, some people get a little nervous. They, they think of kind of sharks in the water that are, you know, swimming around trying to get the best deal. What, what are some things um, are, or are there places in, in, in these deals where people can get taken advantage of it? And, and, and I don't want, I use that phrase you know, lightly, because I'm not trying to say that they're being taken advantage of and that there's a private equity tr- uh, company trying to just, you know, steal from them. But where where the deal can get a little bit more favorable for the buyer and, and is there is there a place where the sellers seem to get in trouble? Is there a common area where they just they, they, they tend to give too much or the deal just the deal structure just isn't quite favorable to them? And, and how do folks avoid that? Yes, I think, you know, we touched a little bit on it yesterday uh, when we were talking about unsolicited offers, right? right. If a buyer right. knocks on your door and offers you something, you as a seller, it, it's probably the first and only time you're ever going to sell your company. You don't do this every day. A buyer does do that every day. And they're not going to offer you the very top, typically, of what they could offer you or what you could be offered at market. So I would say that that's one pitfall. Uh, I would say that within the negotiating, uh, that's another one. Pre-LOI signature, pre-that term sheet signature, we like to tell our sellers that's when we have leverage uh, because mm-hmm. you haven't signed anything yet. You haven't gone into what's called exclusivity, which means that you're basically engaged, planning to get married. You haven't signed a thing. You can still negotiate with other buyers. And when they put in that initial LOI, I don't want to say it's a boilerplate LOI, and I certainly don't mean that in a bad way, but usually they put an LOI in front of you that they are expecting to negotiate, that they do leave room to negotiate. They're not giving you their best offer immediately, Mm -hmm. not just on the dollars terms, but on some of the things that we touched on, like the non-compete. Maybe they put 15 miles expecting to go to seven. Maybe they put four years expecting to go to two or three. Mm -hmm. Um, There are things within it that, that you know, people like us or your legal team know our market is what it's called. Basically, what does every other LOI look like when it's signed that's reasonable and fair? And those are the things that you want someone to look at and negotiate alongside you to be sure that you're getting a fair deal to both parties and that it's not too one-sided. What marketing does Starbucks, Hilton, Sephora, and Allergan all have in common? How do they increase their revenue every year? How do they automate their customer retention? And how do they get consistent referrals? The answer may surprise you. Private Label Mobile Rewards. And that's exactly what we do for you at RepeatMD. We grow your high-margin cash-based services by building your own Private Label Mobile Rewards app. Just like Starbucks Rewards, but built for your aesthetic practice. Here are the results of our average client. 76% increase in patient visitation, a 21% increase in patient spend per visit, and a 44% increase in referrals. At RepeatMD, we believe your mission is to transform patients' lives, not stress over marketing. We've helped hundreds of aesthetic practices sell more of their high-margin services and treatments. Visit RepeatMD.com AMSPA to book a quick product demonstration. That's RepeatMD.com AMSPA. You'll receive 50% off towards your purchase for being a listener of Medical Spa Insider. Again, RepeatMD.com AMSPA. So I've seen 
many different LOIs. You've probably seen you know ten times as many as I have. Some are very long and very detailed, with lots of terms that are defined, lots of things that are that are worked on. Some are, you know, I've we've seen some some buyers kind of issue LOIs, you know, hand them out like they're business cards almost, and they're kind of short. And but, um, what is the impact of an LOI? Like, what does it do? And you said you said there's exclusivity. I mean, um, and, and is there an advantage to have more detail? versus less detail for the seller and the buyer. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually uh, wrote down simple LOI. You mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. I think this is such an important subject. Uh, I think as much information as you can get on the LOI before signature, that is an advantage to you, the seller. To the seller, okay. Because it's very hard to walk back from an LOI because you or the buyer can say, well, you already agreed to this. And keep in mind what we just talked about, Alex, is this is the time when we, the seller, have some leverage Mm -hmm. because we don't have to sign the LOI. We can sign 10 other ones. So this is when you want to define any terms that you're not clear of and that you want to have clarity on. Mm -hmm. So that to us is very important. The more, the better, because once you sign that LOI, you go into what's called exclusivity. And that means that I, the seller, cannot even talk to another buyer. And some of them even have provisions in there, by the way, that say, if you get an LOI or something from another buyer, you have to tell us. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's that level of exclusivity that we're talking about. And very naturally, then the advantage goes to the buyer, because they know at this point, we're one on one. And negotiating for us becomes very difficult because at this point, they know the seller wants to close. We're, you know, 45, 60, 90 days from closing. So advantage goes a little bit to the buyer. They're still negotiating within there, but it certainly doesn't swing in our favor. So because of that, I would say, you know, get as clear an LOI as you can. Yeah. And, and you know, um, I've seen, and again, I, I don't have as much experience as you do in this, but I certainly have seen, I've seen several of these. Sometimes there is some pressure from buyers to sign an LOI um, and to get that signed right away. And there seems to be, you know, they put urgency on it. It's kind of like, you know, any, any, any contract, whether you're buying, you know, a, a piece of machinery for your, for your Metzbau or a car. It's like, there's always that urgency to sign, 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 and get it done so we can move on. Um, are they doing that because specifically because of that they want to make sure that they get you locked in so you're negotiating with them and they and they and then then they get some of the leverage as far as negotiations go Yes, I, I think that's a big part of why they do it is they want you to sign it and, and get going and then they have you under exclusivity um, I do think in fairness to the buyer they also do in some instances, the sellers take a little bit too long to respond and they certainly don't want LOI sitting out there for six months. Um, So there has to be a little bit of respect to that. Uh, But I think as long as, and by the way, Alex, as you know, they even put end dates on the LOI and, and they make a big deal of it. You know, one of the reasons for putting an end date on the LOI is you don't want a bunch of LOIs floating out there that people can sign in a year later. So that makes right. complete sense. However, what we have found is as long as you're in consistent conversation, having good back and forth between buyer and seller, those dates are very easily amended. So I, I think as long as it continues to progressively move and that you're bringing up concerns and questions that show the buyer, I'm interested, I'm moving this forward. It's not just sitting on my desk collecting dust. That's perfectly okay. But yes, you're absolutely 
absolutely right. They want that signature sooner rather than later uh, to get us under exclusivity and close us. Yeah. Is, is, is there anything that you, and you've, you've answered this already, but is there anything else that you generally recommend to your sellers? You know, make sure you get this in the LOI. Like, is there like a, a few things that they need to make sure they get in there or is it, is it very deal by deal? Uh, it's very deal by deal. You know, there are things like, you know, reps and warranties, caps and baskets, like insurance related things of if something Mm -hmm. happens, how much, you know, are you on the hook for and how much is the buyer on the hook for? There are little things like that. Um, You know, just pay very careful attention to the language. Um, you know, make sure that things that should be in, a, in an LOI are in there. Just as you mentioned earlier, Alex, you don't want a one-page LOI um, that, that leaves a lot of gray space there for you to wonder what what's going on. Um, so I think okay. as long as you get very clearly defined the pieces that should be in there, yeah, you'll be okay. And then, you, you know, we, we move on to uh, due diligence. So, so really, and, and obviously we're, we're generalizing here, you get to, the, to an LOI, which is, again, the LOI is non-binding. So it's not, it's, it's not like you're agreeing to sell for, to this particular buyer for a particular price. It's, it's a non-binding agreement. But what, what is binding is, is what you said, Ben, is, is you know, the exclusivity part. You're, you're, you're agreeing contractually to negotiate with one particular person. Um, and so you're, you're, you're getting engaged, you know, setting up, you know, trying to set a wedding date, basically. Um, one thing that you mentioned was um, um, making sure that you have the right partner. And obviously, um, that's easier said than done. What are some things that 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 are either good indicators that a partnership is going to be a good one or, or, or the opposite that folks should look out for? Yeah, so I think, you know, one, the low-hanging fruit is um, there's all sorts of information out there about different private equity groups, investments that they've made. Um, so we would suggest making sure that you look at that. And, and, you know, more specifically within that, if I'm looking at a private equity group and we're talking about the aesthetic space, I want to know, does this private equity group, one, focus on healthcare? Ideally, the answer is yes. Then I want to know, have they had any, you know, aesthetics platforms or anything related to it that translates nicely? Uh, That would give me a little bit more confidence. So you have this checklist early on from a high level. What are what have they done before? And then you can start even looking into getting some people's names that have partnered with them. What was your experience like? You can ask that from private equity groups and they'll give you the names. Um, So they're very forthcoming with that. I would also suggest finding some of your own for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that's, you know, kind of like step one. And then step two is, as you go through these negotiations, I don't want to say they're contentious, but there will be stress points and it, it is a roller coaster and you two are on opposite sides of the table. I think that both buyer and seller should have enough respect to know that post transaction, you're going to be married. So look for cues. Is, is it a respectful relationship? Do they listen? Um, how does that work? Because you know, there, there are cracks that sometimes are displayed as you're going through negotiations. Um, and so you just want to make, you know, very certain as much as you can that you like the people uh, that you're negotiating with. And you'll get to know them pretty well as you get close. So th- those are some things that I would look for uh, when I'm doing diligence on the groups. Now, now, one thing that, that, that you mentioned that, that I've always 
um, caution folks about when I'm talking to them is the due diligence period can be so after you sign the LOI, you get into due diligence and really you're, you're structuring the deal. They're, they're learning everything they can. You're learning everything you can about them. It can get contentious when you're negotiating things. Um, it can get very contentious. It can get very drawn out. Uh, at some point, though, if it's successful, you have to work with this person, and and it's 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 con- sometimes it can get concerning. You go through this long process where you're beating each other up, you're negotiating, your lawyers are yelling at each other, blah blah blah, and then all of a sudden, boom, you close, and they're your business partner. And so, like, how do you deal with that aspect of it? Because it can be it can be it can be tough. It can. It's a roller coaster. I mean, for for our sellers, they're selling their baby. And that's a very emotional thing. And, you know, I think for most sellers, they think their company is worth X. And if there's a question Mm -hmm. on that, it can be a very personal feeling Mm -hmm. Uh, like they're speaking to you directly personally. I think the best way, one of the good ways to avoid that, I know what we do and what legal teams should do is any of those you know, hopefully there aren't too many yelling matches. Hopefully it's all respectful, but any of those contentious points, um, if we try to keep the seller out of it, uh, I'm not saying keep them in the dark, by the way, Mm -hmm. I'm saying if there are difficult things to talk through, you know, I, or the lawyer, someone like us ought to be picking up the phone, talking through some points where, you know, we're figuring out where is the line in the sand for both parties and get to understanding the other party, they understand our point, and hopefully get to an agreement. That way we're able to filter the conversation of, look, here's what they think, here's what our position is, and then go back to the buyer. I think the less that the seller's involved in those types of conversations, the better. And again, I don't mean keep it in the dark. What I mean is really get down to the core, the heart of the matter. What are we really trying to negotiate and why? And figuring out a good solution. But yes, there are times when the seller does get involved in that. And, you know, I think that's where the respectfulness comes in. And I think that, that it is good that they look behind the curtain a little bit because because how do they deal with those kind of things? Because in business, as you know, once you do partner, once you do sell, those things don't go away. You are going to have disagreements. You're going to have contentious moments. How are those going to be dealt with? And that's where you start as a seller looking at the cues of how do they deal with disagreements? Um, and can we come to some sort mm-hmm. of conclusion that's fair to both buyer and seller? Yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a good point. Um, and it's tough because you've got to you've got to try to remove some of the you know the personal feelings and the emotion. And it, it is you know I, I can imagine um, you're dealing with with a negotiation where they're they're nitpicking how you run your business, right? They're nitpicking the value of your of your business. They're saying no, you think it's worth X. We don't think it's worth X. Here's why. And then they you know go through this this whole long litany of things that are basically telling you why you're not worth as much as you think you're worth. That can be really really tough to to kind of get over and then turn around and and, and then you have to start working with them. You know, one person described the due diligence process as. Uh, you know, it's like a colonoscopy. You know, it, even if the results are perfect, it's still an unpleasant situation. And then you've got to turn around and work with the doctor who just gave it to you. So um, it's, you know, um, I, I, I don't know. I don't really have a question there. I'm just it's it, it just seems like it's there's 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 it, it's 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 kind of an un it's almost like you're you're stacking the deck against yourself. You're arguing, you're negotiating and then boom, you're done. You've got to be on the same team. And it's it's just it's got to be difficult. 
It is. It is. It, it's a very, you know, kind of fine line and balance uh, for the buyers as well, because they want to keep you happy. Right. The mm-hmm. last thing that they want is, you know, an upset business owner post close that has a bad taste in his or her mouth. So it is. It's a very fine line and balance uh, because you're right. It, I like the colonoscopy parallel. We always say you're completely naked. Your business is completely naked in, in front of the buyer. Any legal document, anything you've mm-hmm. ever done, they're going to know your business almost as well as you do by the time you close. And in order to do that in that short of a timeline, that means that they're sifting through paperwork. They're asking a million questions and they're asking questions beneath those questions. Um, and, and you're right. It, it, it's not the most pleasant thing. Uh, and sometimes it does feel like they're questioning, you know, from their perspective, they would say, we just want to be sure that we fully understand what we're buying uh, and that we have some LOI and purchase agreements that we can really stand behind. Right. So we've, uh, we've been going for, gosh, an hour, over an hour and a half, um, almost what, what, um, I, I, I would love to get in a little bit, uh, as we kind of wrap up in, into, not from a promotional standpoint, because I, I, I think, you know, people will be able to, 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 to know what you do based upon what you're, you know, how you're answering these questions, but, but what's the benefit to working with a company like, like, like yours? Cause, and I say that cause I, I've known lots of doctors, uh, and practice owners and other business owners who just go into things and they, they get the LOI and then, the, and they're done and, and, you know, they're, they're hesitant to to work with a, a company like a broker because they 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 know that you're giving up you know a certain percentage whatever one two whatever your the three percent that you charge um, of the deal goes to a broker and they're like I don't want to pay that it's what so what's the what, what's the benefit um, to working with a group like yours and, and 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 what do you do for a buyer to make it easier and 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 make the process more 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 palatable. Of course. Yeah. And definitely, uh, I agree. Shouldn't be promotional. So I'll say this, if, if we ever sell Skytail, uh, I would use a broker or investment bank and I would have a legal team around me. And at some point I would have a tax advisor. Uh, number one, you're selling your life's work. I, I think that that really is the key. You're selling your life's work and it's probably the only time that you do it. Um, you know, if you wouldn't sell your house by yourself, which you're going to probably do multiple times, then I don't know why anyone would sell a business by themselves. Uh, and here's why you're going up against private equity or family offices. These are very sophisticated buyers. And, you know, I, I don't want to say they'll take advantage, right? But they are going to come in with a deal that's more in their favor. And they do this every single day. And they know exactly what the market is. And they know in their mind exactly what the top of, you know, whether it's an, uh, the dollar amount or the non-compete or insurance policies, whatever that is, they know what their limits are. Usually, unless you have an extremely sophisticated seller, usually sellers do not. It's the one time they do it. So what a company does, if they're a broker or investment bank, anyone, what they'll do is they do this every day as well. So you're a little bit more on par having these discussions. 
So early on, what they'll do is they'll, you know, get your house in order because we mm-hmm. talked about the colonoscopy and being naked. That means that you have to have financials, you know, HR information, marketing information, operations, organizational information. You want to have all that day one to really present that you're a very well-run business. You're an organized business and you want to be sure that you present your story correctly. You, you want to be sure that you point out things that are very, very, key differentiators within your organization. So there are a lot of marketing things, window dressing that you can do even before you make a single phone call to a buyer. That's one. Number two is as you go through the process, how are you going to know who to reach out to? We said it early on. I think that as a seller, you want to be the one picking the buyer, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. So how are you going to know who to reach out to? Usually investment banks are going to have, you know, kind of a Rolodex. Do people even say Rolodex anymore? Anyway, a Rolodex uh, or a LinkedIn, whatever the new (laughs) term is of, of potential buyers that fit the seller's wants, needs, culture, whatever it may be. And that list can be 50 to 100 um, Mm -hmm. because it whittles down and you want to be sure that you have some really solid offers in front of you to negotiate. So as you go through this process, someone like that should be able to more than pay for themselves, uh, not just in the value perspective, but also in, in, you know, as we said, they try to shield you as well. They try to answer questions on your behalf, especially early on. You as a business owner probably shouldn't and cannot talk to 50 to 100 buyers. Right. Somebody like an investment bank can and should. Um, and, and, you know, that helps a lot because when you do come close to closing, we talked about the six to nine months. If there's any sort of dip in the business, and this is a roller coaster and emotional process, so you can get distracted pretty easily because it's so much to do in those six to nine months. If there's a dip in the business, they can call you back to the table to talk about value. So there are so many things that they can do um, to kind of represent you and be the liaison and get you the best deal. And they know it's market. They know that a holdback should be 8%. They know what the multiple should be on your EBITDA. They know that if, you know, the projections have to be, you know, as solid as possible for various reasons. These are things that they know because they've been through it time and time again, day in and day out. So those are some examples of why, you know, I would consider having, you know, again, a broker, investment bank, a legal team, and mm-hmm. eventually, uh, you know, a tax professional as well to be sure the deal structure is advantageous to you from a tax structure. Can you, sh- I mean, what, what is a typical broker, I'm not asking for your fees, but what does a typical broker charge for a transaction? What, what can, what can someone expect to pay to have their, what, 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 you know, what's the percent they're going to pay when they put their meds on the market? Yeah, so I, I think a lot of it has to do with what the value is. Um, mm-hmm. the, the high level way to think about it is the lower the value, the higher the percentage uh, okay. on that sale. Okay. So if we're talking about a med spa, let's just pretend here that's going to sell for $1.5 million. I'm guessing it's going to be somewhere in that 5 to 10% range, depending on the broker you go with. Mm-hmm. Um, if, however, you're selling for $30 million, um, that's going to be closer to that 2 2.5%, something along those lines. Um, so there's an inverse relationship between value and uh, the percentage that you're paying. All right. This is, um, I mean, this has been super helpful. I, you know, I feel like we could talk, you know, we could talk all day um, on, on this. And, and I, I think it would be, 
Uh, I, I think it would be be good for us to kind of get you know some more structure, or maybe doing a, doing a webinar or something. Because I, I know there's a lot of things um, that when you get into due diligence, there's there's things they're looking for, and and, and I I don't want to take up too much time because I know there's a lot of folks who aren't ready to sell, and and I don't want to you know throw a bunch of stuff on them. This is a pretty esoteric um, conversation, but I I think it's helpful. Um, and I, 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 Ben, I want to thank you for, for sharing, you know, being, being forthright with all this. If, if folks want to reach out to you and, and get a hold of you and learn more about what you do or have questions, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yes. Uh, and by the way, thanks for having me, Alex. I hope, uh, your listeners got something out of it, but the best way to reach me is ben.hernandez, H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z at skytailgroup.com, S-K-Y-T-A-L-E group.com. Uh, and I'll answer you right away if you have any questions. Awesome. I appreciate you uh, appreciate you being on. And, and, and folks who are listening should, should, should definitely keep, keep an eye out for, for uh, webinars and things like that because I think there's, there's a lot more we can do with this. And I want to make sure we, don't, we don't, don't leave, uh, especially as this market continues to grow and there's more and more buyers. I, th- I think you're going to see in the news, uh, you know, the, the, the aesthetic news and in the blogosphere coming up in, in the months to come, you're going to see more of these start to happen. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to kind of ignite... Uh, ignite everyone's interest. So Ben, appreciate your time and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you again, Alex. Have a great day. Right, you too. Take it easy. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Ben Hernandez of Skytel Group. This has been part two of a two-part series. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.